All right, James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we are at this morning. Have you ever been the victim of slander or gossip? Someone said something negative about you to someone that wasn't true? We've all probably experienced that at some point or another. Because slander is one of those respectable sins. In fact, in the ancient world, slander was considered a vice. It was okay. When the medieval monks compiled the list of the seven deadly sins, they included pride. They included injustice, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, and laziness. But interestingly, absent from that list, was the list was the sin of slander. If we were to make a list of the most heinous sins that people commit, right, the, the evil that people do, for many of us, we would probably not put slander on that list. For many of us, it's an acceptable sin. It's common practice, frankly, for us to speak about others in a negative light. But the Bible has a lot to say about slander, hurtful speech. In Romans chapter 1, verse 30, slander is mentioned as one of the marks of a depraved mind. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, verse 16 tells us, you shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. And you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. In Psalm 15, verse 3, it says, The wise man does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. In Psalm 41, 7 and 8, All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt, saying a wicked thing is poured out upon him. In Psalm 50, Verses 19 and 20, it's, he said, the psalmist says, You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Accusing Israel in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 28, he says of Israel, All of them are stubbornly rebellious, going about as a tale-bearer. In Jeremiah 9, verse 4, says, let everyone be on guard against his neighbor and do not trust any brother because every brother deals craftily and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. In Proverbs 20, verse 19, the writer says, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secret. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. The New Testament has a lot to say about it. Christ in Matthew 15, verses 19 and 20 tells us out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. He includes it in these amazingly wicked things. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20, Paul tells them, I'm afraid that when I come, I might find you full of jealousy and strife and anger, uh, temptations, disputes, slander and gossip. He challenges us in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Because slander has 
horrendous effects on our relationships, on our families, and in the church. In Psalm 101, verse 5, we're told that whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, God will destroy. In Proverbs 16, 28, it says a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. In Proverbs 18, verse 8, we're told the whispers, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels and they go down into the innermost parts of the body and they're destroyed. The reality is, speaking of people, isn't just sharing prayer requests or venting frustrations, but rather a sin with grave effects. In fact, it's so grave, we are told that God hates it. In Proverbs 16, or excuse me, Proverbs 6, verse 16, we're told there are six things which the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. God hates slander. Now, this does not mean that we don't address sin. We don't confront sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters. In Matthew 18, we're told that if our brother or sister sins against us, we are to go to them and share with them their sin and confront them about it, that they might repent and we might gain a brother. If they don't repent, we're to take two or three others with us. And if they don't repent, we're to bring it to the church. And if they don't repent, then we are to expel them from membership. We do confront sin, but we do so in a straightforward and loving manner. We don't do so in a way behind their back to speak evil of them. And as James, in James 4, continues his statement of what it means to submit to God, what it looks like to submit to God, as we looked at last week, he continues on with his list and his description in verses 11 and 12. And in these verses, he addresses the sin of slander. Let's look at James chapter 4, Verses 11 and 12. James writes, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Slander destroys families, friendships, relationships, and churches. As a result, James instructs us that we must refrain from slander. He tells us in these two verses that we can do so by reevaluating four things in our life. The first thing that we need to reevaluate is that we need to reevaluate what we think of others. In verse 11, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The word speak evil there is the idea of talking against or defaming or harsh words about a person who's absent. The, the word speak evil means literally to speak against. It describes harmful speech. 
questioning legitimate authority, like when the people spoke uh, of Israel spoke against God and against Moses in Numbers 21.5, or slandering someone in secret, like we see in Psalm 101, verse 5, or incorrect false accusations, like we see in 1 Peter 2.12. It denotes a, a, a critical or, or a derogatory speech that's uh, maliciously intended to hurt that person. It's generally assumed that it's talking about someone who's not there. You're talking behind someone's back. It is the temptation that deliberately uh, calls to attention the fault of others, the ways that they messed up or don't measure up to what we think they should be while minimizing their virtues. Apparently, this is a major way that the quarrels and fights that are referenced in verse 1 of chapter 4 were coming to the forefront. In the middle of these fights and quarrels, people began to speak about those they perceived as their enemies behind their backs. Began to tear them down. Often under the guise of trying to help them. You see, speaking evil is the sin of those who meet in corners, one man says, and gather in little groups and pass on confidential tidbits of information which destroy the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. And he tells us we need to reevaluate speaking against people this way because they are our brothers. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There's a temptation within the church to begin to look at people as rivals. To begin to look at people as enemies. To begin to look at people as those who are trying to do things that I don't want to happen. And to forget that we are part of a family of God. That we have one Father who determines all things. That person on the other side of the auditorium is not my enemy or my rival, but rather my brother and sister in Christ. We need to reevaluate the way we think of other people. Specifically, we are reminded that we are to love fellow believers. We're to love fellow believers. Remember John 13, 35. Jesus tells his disciples, by this all men will know you are my disciples. And it's interesting what he says. He doesn't say by what you believe or by what you say. He says, by this woman, people know you're my disciples in the way you love one another. Nineteen times in the New Testament, we are commanded to love one another. We are to show love and grace. What does this look like? I think sometimes we miss what it means to love one another. But we're reminded of this in the way that God tells husbands to love their wives in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, we are told to love our wives in the same way Christ loves us and gave himself for us to present us spotless before God. So we learn that loving one another means that we love with a self-sacrificial, others motivated, God-glorifying, purifying love. It's not about me. 
We see as well that this is important because we will be judged according to the standard we judge others. In Matthew chapter 7, we find one of the most popular texts of Scripture. Verses 1 and 2. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, typically, when we hear those verses, it stops there. Now, as you continue on through Matthew 7, we discover that he's not telling us, don't ever pass judgment on people, because he instructs them throughout the rest of Matthew 7 to do so. But what he tells them is, make sure you are doing two things. One, that you are using the right measure of judgment. And the measure of judgment of other people is not your ideas or your opinions or your personality or your preferences. The measure of judgment is God's word and God himself. And we must reevaluate what we think of others because as we begin to use our own personality and our own preferences and our own ideas and our own traditions as the measure of judgment on others, we will be judged by that same measurement, by that same standard. The reality is we can't pass our own standard of judgment. So often I have seen that the people who are condemning and judging others with certain things are blind to their own faults. They wouldn't pass their own measure. This is why Paul tells us in Romans 2 verse 1, You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you judge, you practice the very same thing. You see, we need to reevaluate our lack of grace towards other people because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will be judged by that same exact standard. Secondly, in this text, we see that we need to reevaluate what we think of God's law. He tells us the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, immediately we have to ask the question, what are we speaking of here when we speak of God's law? And generally there are two answers to it, and I think they end up coming to the same place in the end. One is the idea that it is God's law found in the Mosaic law. The other is the idea that it is the whole of God's law found in the Bible. In either case, they are summarized in the great commandment. We see in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Paul tells us, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So we need to reevaluate what we think of God's law. So often when we think of God's law, we think of what God expects everyone else to do. These are the standards that I am holding everyone to. And typically, if we are honest, we are Pharisees in our own hearts and go well beyond what God says. We all have those golden calves that we don't want to sacrifice. That we demand everyone else worship. 
But we see that loving others is how we fulfill the law. Because slander violates the greatest commandments. Again, the law may be the Mosaic law, or it may be an earlier reference to the law in chapter 2, verse 8, where James is summarizing Jesus' teaching. But either way, we discover they are summarized in the same way. James chapter 2, verse 8 tells us, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? How can we keep the law? He said this, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus says, if you want to fulfill the law, if you want to understand what it means to be a child of God, love God with everything you have and love others with everything you have. And when we slander, when we speak evil or hurtful of other people, when we speak behind their back, when we tear them down and and speak negatively of them, we violate this law. Did you think about your conversations this last week? And you were going to categorize them either as positive towards people or negative towards people. Positive about people or negative about people. Would it weigh towards the positive or towards the negative? Sadly, I think with so many of us, it would probably weigh towards the negative. How did your day go today? Oh, let me tell you about everything people did. And we begin to lay out all the negatives that happened. Hey, do you know this person? Hey, what happened with this person? Oh, let me tell you all the things that they did. Can you believe that? As opposed to building up and sharing the way they're God's blessing. But this kind of slander, this kind of hurtful language violates the greatest commandment. James assumes that criticism of fellow believers contradicts the demand that we love our neighbors. And so he says the one who speaks evil of his neighbor does not keep the law. When we slander and stand in judgment over one another, we fail to obey God. So we break the law. We're free from the law. Christ died for that, right? There's a greater problem James lays out. You see, slander places ourselves as a greater authority than God's law. If people break the law knowingly, they set themselves above the law. Have you ever met those people that they are the exception? Rules get set out and they go, oh, that, that's not for me. That's not the rule for me. I can, I can do that. We've all fallen into that trap one way or another. We set ourselves above the law. And what he's telling us is that no matter how high or orthodox or right our view of God is, our belief in God, we can say all the right things. Failure to actually do what it says, says to the world, 
that we do not, in fact, hold it in very high regard. One man said, believers should accept the law of God, but this law requires them to exercise mercy towards others since they have received and are putting their hopes on the mercy of God. Slander offends not only the brother and constitutes judgment against him, but also offends the law and judges the law. In both cases, slanderers have placed themselves in a superior position. In Romans chapter 14, there was this big controversy that was taking place there in the church at Rome. In 1 Corinthians 8, we discover the same thing was happening in Corinth. Some people had been saved out of Judaism and out of paganism and had joined together in this church. But in that culture, paganism was rampant. Temples were everywhere. And part of the temple worship was you would bring your sacrifices to the temple. And they would take this meat. You would bring the best of the choice cuts of all your cattle. And they'd bring them and they would sacrifice them and present them to that statue. But of course, we know that when you present meat to a statue, nothing happens. And the priest very quickly learned nothing happens and being... uh, having ingenuity, they thought, there's an opportunity here. And so they would begin to take that meat, the best cuts of meat that they received for free from the people as a sacrifice, and they opened a meat market, a temple meat market, where you could go buy the best of the meat. And because they had zero overhead, they could sell it at much cheaper prices. So not only could you get the best meat, you could also get it really cheap. This caused a problem in the early church because some looked at that and said, no, wait a minute, that meat was sacrificed to idols. If you participate in that, you are participating in idolatry. If you give your money to buy that, you are giving your money to the pagan temple. And another group in the church said, listen, it's just meat. I mean, it just sat in front of a piece of stone. It didn't change anything about the meat. It's still meat. Christ died. It's okay. Right? It's not sin. As a question came, who's right? And Paul writes in Romans 14, in essence, tell us who's right. Yes, they're both right. Whoever says it's sin should not participate in it because for them it is sin. And whoever says it is not sin understands the death of Christ and for them it is not sin. But here is the key in all of it. In Romans 14 verse 4 he says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul says the problem is not whether someone is eating or not eating. The problem is there are a group of people who are playing God. They're making the judgment. They're saying you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. They're placing themselves in the position of God. In these areas where where the scripture is not clear. This was not a question of should I kill or not kill. That's very clear. It's a question of can I eat this meat or not eat this meat? And there is no thou shalt not or thou shalt text of scripture for that. And they began to judge their neighbor and their conscience. And Paul says, who are you to judge them when they're not your servant? They're God's servant. So read that. I hear Paul in his mind asking, who do you think you are? You're not God. You see, when we slander others, speak ill of others. We say that my ideas are more important than God's, than God's law. So we need to reevaluate what we think of God's law because we hold God's law, God's standard, God's word as way more, uh, way less significant than we ought to think of it. Third, we need to reevaluate then what we think of God himself. 
He says in verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. In that day, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, taught that judging our neighbor logically leads to a graver sin of judging God. One rabbi by the name of Rabbi Ossi declared that the man who begins by disavowing his neighbor will end by denying God. Because when we say that God, my, my ideas are more important than God's ideas, we are in essence are saying, my place is higher than God's place. This desire to usurp the place of God has been the very essence of sin from the very beginning. We think of the fall of Satan himself. We get a picture of it in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And in our hearts, as we judge other people, as we slander them, we are doing the same thing. We are saying, I am God. It is my right to make those judgments. But James reminds us there is only one lawgiver and judge. We need to reevaluate what we think of God because God is the supreme lawmaker and judge. James says there is only one, and that's a very emphatic statement. Only one. And implied in that is, it's not you. There's only one lawgiver, only one person who makes the law, only one judge, God alone. And when a person becomes a judge of others and a judge of the law, we take God's rightful place. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Often we make these pronouncements and we make these judgments and we don't know everything. We don't have all the information. There are times as a pastor where people will come to me and say, you need to deal with that person or that person is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I can't share with them any more than to say, you don't have all the information. There are things going on there you don't know about, that you have no business knowing about, that would change your opinion completely. You see, we tend not to give people the benefit of the doubt. Rather, we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And we place ourselves in the place of God and make ourselves the judge and the lawgiver. But there's only one, and it is God. So we need to reevaluate what we think of God because he is the supreme lawmaker and judge. But beyond that, we also see that God alone delegates grace and judgment. It says there's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. There's only one person who has the power to save and has the power to to condemn. 
It's not us. We can't save people. Only God can do that. And so we ought to be marked by grace towards people. Because if God can have grace towards them, certainly I should. I'm reminded of Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you, forgave me. We need to remember that God is the one who bestows grace and judgment, not me. Finally, we need to reevaluate what we think of ourselves. He concludes, Who are you to judge your neighbor? It's a pretty straightforward statement. Who are you to judge your neighbor? You see, we see in this statement that slander reveals a vaunted, exalted opinion of ourselves. You see, we think we have the right to do it. While it is a rhetorical question, who are you to do that? And the answer is, well, not God. I shouldn't be doing that. Often we would answer, I am. I'm the one who should be able to do that. I know I have the experience. I have the knowledge. I am the wisest, the greatest person there is. And we believe that we should have the right to judge other people. To judge our neighbor, that one next to us. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 tells us, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And in that context, we think of Romans 1 through 3, where there is none righteous, not one. There's none that understand. There's none that seek after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, not even one, and that includes me. But it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is God that does the work. Now, James is not discounting the need for honest discussion, constructive criticism in the body of believers, point is this conversations that are taking place behind people's backs. Meant as rivalries and contemptible language and jealousy. The reality is we ought to speak with kindness and love. But because self-deceived Christians are so prone to sinfully elevate ourselves and our opinion and it leads to rivalries and conflicts, we need to realize that this inevitably leads to becoming a judgmental person. And those who are judging are often indifferent to the abysmal condition of their own faith. Like they're boasting and bragging back in verse 16, these believers have set themselves up as judges with evil thoughts who become, uh, whose speech has become filled with language no better than cursing. It reveals a vaunted opinion of ourselves because it puts ourselves in the place of God. Again, Romans 4.14 tells us God is the one who judges, not us. And in our arrogance, we look at those with the other position with contempt and judgment. We've seen this very clearly in our current day. Both, both sides make personal character attacks. Many feel that they are right strongly and, and the ones who are not on board with them are just stupid. They need to get with the program. 
They look at them with derision and frustration, and so they act in self-righteousness and arrogance. They think, I can see so clearly what is going on. Why can't they? We understand the politics. We understand the science. They don't. We understand the law. They don't. There's a major problem with this view. In our arrogance, we have placed ourselves in the position of God. God is the ultimate judge, not you. God is the one who determines truth, not you. God is the one who is sovereign over all things, not you. God is the one who has spoken, not you. There are a number of issues which constantly enter the church in which we are quick to judge one another. We very quickly assign their place with God in the way that they line up with what we think they should or should not do. That is pure arrogance. The gospel calls us to unity through love for one another. And it's very easy to intentionally or unintentionally hurt one another. It's very easy to begin to judge other spirituality and their love for God by, uh, and others by the way they line up with, with my opinions and what I think. Let's not fall into that trap. Go out of your way to demonstrate love and grace towards one another. Don't destroy the work of God over temporal matters. Let me conclude by giving us three so what's as we walk out today. Number one, be kind. Just be kind. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Just be kind. Number two. This comes from my old first grade teacher. She got it from all over the place because you've heard it too. If you can't say something nice, just don't say anything. This actually comes from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 16 and Proverbs 17, 28. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. If you can't say something nice, bite your tongue. And number three, keep confidences. Proverbs 16, 28 tells us a perverse man spreads strife and a slander intim uh, separates intimate friends. And Proverbs 17, 9 tells us he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. As you are brought into confidence on things, it is not for you to share with everybody else. It's not a prayer request. It's not an explanation. It's slander. Learn to keep confidences. And in the end, fulfill the law of Christ in the way that you love one another. Let's pray. Father,
We thank you again for the opportunity that you have given us to gather together as your people, to do your work and see you honored and glorified in all that we say and do. Lord, I pray that you would help us to serve well, to love one another well, and to make you look as good as you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.